here's the thing I want us to, to, to get in our mind. If we're going to live lives that matter, we have to know what the end is. The end is Jesus Christ is going to return. He is going to restore and redeem this broken cosmos, all right? And how many of you know we're part of that redemption story? If you're here today and you know Jesus, guess what? You're part of that story. Uh, but but th- he's coming with power. There's nobody greater. There's nobody with more authority than Jesus. So how many of you know now's when you respond to him? It's going to be too late later. Now's when you respond to him. How do we respond? Just like Harv was leading us. We, we make him the blazing center of our lives. We joyfully give ourselves to him. Are you with me? We joyfully give. This is not a burden. This is not, a, this is not duty. This is a joyful surrender of our lives to the man Christ Jesus. And then we said he's going to fill the entire cosmos with his glory. How is he going to do this? This was the amazing part. He's going to use us. I told you last week, we would not have come up with this idea. I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror and I said, really, the redemption of planet Earth, you're going to use broken people like us to love people and share, and you're going to move through us with your power and your love to to touch people. That's how you're going to do it? Seriously, Lord? And then he says, yep, that's how I'm going to do it. We are the body of Christ. We are the means by which the whole earth is permeated and saturated with the goodness of Jesus. I mean, you know, that's a serious responsibility. And I want us to feel that. That's, this is like serious. Like, like the church is not just playing around. Like we have a serious mandate from heaven. And we have the privilege of participating and being used by God to do this. And so now we get to chapter 3. Chapter 3 gives us the motive. It gives us the fuel for the fire, for the passion on how we carry this out. And that's where my wife comes in. How many of you know Christianity is not a religion as much as it is a romance? And I I want you to feel this. It's not a religion. All over the world you find people who live in some kind of terror or fear of deities, all right? Uh, And they perform all kinds of rituals and duties to try to appease these gods, false gods. But, But Jesus doesn't work that way with us. And I was thinking back to when I first met you. Wow, that was a great moment. Let's just say the word captivated is probably the best word. She captivated me. And I spent my whole life when she came into my world pursuing her. Now, I had to ask Brent to forgive me later on because Brent, my my brother-in-law now, he wasn't my brother-in-law then, he was my best friend. We were roommates in college. But when I met her, he became a distant thought. (laughs) And he used to get on me like, how come, you know, you never spent time with me? I'm like, dude, someday you will understand. (laughs) And then I brought him home, short story, I brought him home from college and he met my sister. And then I became a distant memory in his life. And I said, now you understand. Now you understand. But isn't this amazing? When we first met, we, my whole world shifted around one objective, and that was finding as much time as I could to be with her. And she was so crazy about me, all right? Believe it or not, she was crazy about me. It's probably my flowing hair at the time that captivated her, but... 
But we would be out holding hands, walking the loop on campus, and she would look and see her class taking place with her professor that she was supposed to be in the class. And she was so in love with moi. It was my night class. Yeah, night class. It was the night class. But she'd be like, oh, no, I'm supposed to be in that class. And if you could imagine her going to her professor and profusely apologizing that she had completely lost track of her schedule because I came into her life. And I know some of you are going, I can't even believe that. I know. It's, like, it's the grace of God. I can't believe it either. But here's the deal. It was, I mean, you know, when you're young and in love, doing things for the other person is never a duty. It is a joy. And you spend all of your waking days trying to spend as much time together as you possibly can, longing for the day when you won't have to ever say goodbye. That's what we ached for. And then after you say, I do, how many of you know you're romance changes. I mean, your love matures, but here's the point. Now you work at sustaining the fiery love and passion that was in your heart from day one. You work at sustaining that love. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So I just, you know, Friday is my day off, and and I just tell you, it doesn't matter what we do, but I want to be with her. I want to spend my day with her. I want to be in her presence. I want We can go to Costco together. It doesn't matter what we're doing. It's just that I'm with her, and I love to be with her, and it's not a duty to be with her. And after 35 years, she's still my favorite person to be with. Now, this is all the picture, and a, this is a bad picture. On our best day, we're a bad picture of the romance of Jesus with his bride. And Ephesians chapter 3 says that God's whole desire is for us through the supernatural encounter with the Holy Spirit to awaken in our hearts a sense of passion and zeal and joy for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In fact, that's what it means to be saved, is that there's been something supernatural that's happened on the inside of you that changes you. And here's the thing. Doing what God's called us to do no longer becomes a religious duty. It becomes a sense of privileged delight to where you go, how in the world did he ever pick me? And why do I get to have this privilege of knowing him and loving him and living for him and pursuing him? That's what it means to be saved. And so here's what we're going to do today. That's why we've changed everything around. We're going to go right from worship into the word, back into worship and my whole desire that I feel like God's put in my heart for any of you here today is that here, here's what God wants for us, that we would encounter in a fresh way, in our hearts, the fire that God wants us to have for Jesus Christ, the Son. And that once that fire burns in our hearts, everything changes, and nothing becomes a sense of burden or duty or obligation anymore. It becomes a sense of joy and delight everything that he's asking us to do. And it's the love of God that fuels us. You know, one, one of the things that humbled me so much, it's just popping into my head. When I was with Pastor Dick and Susie in China, some of you heard me tell that story, and we met behind closed doors with the leader of the underground church, one of the leaders. This man and his wife were in their 90s. Right after he's married to his bride, the communist government throws him in prison for 12 years of solitary confinement, hard labor, et cetera, et cetera. 12 years. 
And then when it comes time for his parole, they decide arbitrarily that they're going to give him an extended sentence. And so for the first 20 years of their marriage, they're apart. But I'm sitting there in that restaurant next to this couple who absolutely remained faithful under the most difficult circumstances and watching them sitting there in their 90s knowing that their marriage started off with 20 years of separation for the sake of the gospel. And I saw such a picture of marital fidelity and faithfulness and purity. It was such a beautiful picture of what Jesus wants from us and our relationship with him. And how many of you know, even as I share this, on our best day, we've all fallen short of that. And this, I'm not sharing this to, to, to bring condemnation or anything like that. I'm sharing this to inspire us that there's more and that God wants to touch us today and that we're going to have a chance in just a moment to, to simply respond in that kind of way, uh, to the love of God, and to say, Lord, I want more, and I, I want to give you more of me, and I want more of you, and, and that's really what the essence of what the gospel is all about. So thank you for loving me. You can be seated. Good. You can be seated. All right. Turn with me to Ephesians 3, and I'm just laying, all I'm doing here, I'm laying some tracks, and then we're going to respond, okay? Ephesians 3, 16. This is our, our theme verse for today, the big idea. I pray that from His glorious, that means God's infinite intrinsic worth, out of the value of who God is and the riches of who God is, that the unlimited, His unlimited resources, that He would empower us with inner strength through His Spirit. And then look at verse 17. Then this is what's going to happen. Christ is going to make His home in your hearts as you trust Him. And your roots are going to grow down into God's love, and they're going to keep you strong. And you are going to have the power to understand, as all of God's people should. Here's here's the beauty of this. How wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. And here's Paul's prayer. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. It passes comprehension, the Bible says. And then you're going to be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I want to make a, a couple of points. Our first point I want to make is this. Love is the motive behind the mission. As I said already, this is not about religion. This is about romance. This is not about duty. This is about delight. I shared with you last week in Ephesians chapter 2 the messes that we were how far we were from God, how broken we were, how lost we were, how trapped by sin we were, how spiritually dead we were, and yet God raised us to new life. Look at what it says here in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. Um, The Bible is a picture of radical, self-sacrificial love. And we've all experienced that. Whenever anybody does something for me, you know, just, just uh, today, it was interesting, on, on my Facebook feed, a feed came up, a picture came up from seven years ago when I ran for state representative. And I made the statement that there's nothing more humbling than running for office and realizing that there are actually people in your life who are willing to give up their time and go door to door and knock on someone's door and say, hey, vote for that guy. And there's a lot of you crazy people that did that for me, and I just want to tell you, how humbling and what a blessing that is to think that people would do that for you. 
How much more humbling is it to realize that the Son of God willingly laid down his life and shed his blood, beaten beyond recognition, nailed to a cross uh, for you and for me? That, that kind of love demands a response. Are you with me? Why do we come here and worship every Sunday? It's because that kind of love demands a radical response. It's the kind of love that we see with the prodigal son where God's not standing there doing the tis-tis thing, shame on you, you bunch of sinners, you're so far from me, you're so selfish. That's not how God responds. When when that son who's been living in filth and and wasting his inheritance and, and shaking his fist at his father and leaving in rebellion, when that son turns and starts coming back, we have a father who runs to meet him. Isn't that amazing? How many of you know you have a God that's been chasing you down and will continue to pursue you? What an amazing father we have. That's who he is. That's what he does. He loves us. We're not slaves any longer. We're beloved sons and daughters. And I love what Galatians 2.20 says. Of course, you all remember it's a good, it's a good memory verse. I have been crucified with Christ, the Bible says, yet no, no longer I, not, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. He says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And I love the way it ends, who loved me and who gave himself for me. That's the gospel. That's Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says this, For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us because we are absolutely convinced that he has given his life for us all. There's something about being radically loved that inspires us, as I shared last week, to kiss back. And that's what salvation is. Salvation is not just believing the right doctrine about Jesus. We need to believe the right doctrine. We need to fall in love with the right Jesus. And that's what doctrine gives us. It gives us the picture of who Christ is and what he's done. But how many of you know it's not just having the right belief? Salvation is embracing all that Jesus is in our hearts. I like to say salvation is kissing back. We've been kissed to life. We've been loved to life. And now what does that require from us? A response. The response is this, passion that motivates us to do whatever God has called us to do. What would it be that God's asked us to do that would be too great for us to say no? So the first point is simply this. Love is the motive that's behind the mission, and we've got to make sure we're doing what we're doing out of the right motivation. Can I just tell you this? I don't ever want to motivate any of you to serve and to use the gifts that God's given you in this place out of any reason other than that you are passionate for Jesus and you love people. I don't ever want anybody in this place to feel like all all this church cares about is your money. I could care less about your money. God's not broke. I've said that before. We should never give, ever, except out of a heart that's full of passion for Jesus. We should never serve in any capacity unless our heart is doing it because we love Jesus and we love people. Are you with me? Can you, can you see why we'll never accomplish the great things God wants us to accomplish until from the, at the core of our being we just love the Lord and we're willing to lay our lives down and do whatever because that's what people that are in love do. We absolutely are, are consumed with a passion to love Jesus Christ. That's what we need to have in the church. But here's, let me get quickly to number two. That kind of love, namely Jesus Christ, the embodiment of love, has got to live on the inside of us. The Bible says that Christ dwells in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage us here. Look what it says. Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust him. The Amplified Version says Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
This is so important. If you want to experience the love of Jesus, that love is made manifest in us through faith. And I've noticed this in people. Sometimes people that have the hardest problem loving are people, you know, you ask yourself, why are those people like that? Why are they, why are they so uh, uh, full of anxiety? Why are they so judgmental? Why are they? I found this to be the case. People that have a hard time loving are many times people that are full of fear. They're afraid. They're anxious about the future. They're ang- I, I know people that freak out about doctrine. They're, they're so worried. They're, and let me tell you why people freak out about doctrine. They're afraid they're going to be deceived. They're afraid they're going to lose their salvation. They're afraid of this. They're critical of this. They're, criti- they're, they're like, you, you know, there are people on the Internet that spend all their time just being critical of other people in the body of Christ. Why do you live that way? There are people in the church, they feel like their job is just to straighten everybody out. Why do you live that way? God has straightened you out through his son, Jesus Christ. I'll tell you why they live that way. Because the degree that you're critical and judgmental and murmuring and so focused on everybody else's faults is the degree that you are absolutely blinded by the incredible love of God for you that wants to absolutely disarm you and cause you to be the biggest lover on planet Earth. I found that loving people are full of faith. They believe the best about people. They believe the best about situations. They believe the best about God. They believe the best about their future. You know why? Because they're full of faith. And when you're full of faith, you create an atmosphere where Christ, who is love, can live in your hearts. Because the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. Are you with me? And so if you're sitting here today and you're all tangled up with your life, your future, where you're going, the obstacles that are facing you right now, can I just tell you what you need? You don't need to figure it all out. You need to put your confidence in God and allow his love to absolutely bring peace in your life. That's the way this thing works. It's not a deficit of knowledge that we have. It's a deficit of love that we have. Faith embraces Jesus as both Savior and and Lord. I love this. Faith, faith is the welcome mat at the door to our hearts. Because faith says this, Jesus, you are welcome to come in and to rule and reign and to rest in me in the center of who I am. I trust you and I rest in your love for me. That's what faith is. It's a welcome mat. We love him. We believe him. We submit to him. We obey him. And we do it all with joy. Here's, here's what we should be trying to do every Sunday. This should be our goal. How about this? How about creating an atmosphere in my heart, in your heart, where Christ can come in, be at home, and manifest his presence through our lives? How many, do you think that, how many of you think that would be a good goal? How about we create an atmosphere here, all of us, where Jesus can come into this place as his home and do the things that he wants to do even this morning? How do you do that? Well, you simply put your trust in him, you believe in him, you thank him, you worship him, you honor him, and you do it with joy, and you create an atmosphere where God can rule and reign, where he can manifest his love in us. That's how this thing works. We have to give him access to the entire house. There's no rooms in the house that are off limits. We give Jesus the key, and we want him to come and make his home in our hearts as we trust him. Point number three, this is important, love must strengthen and stabilize our ministry. Look at what the Bible says. I think this is the Amplified Version. It says when Christ lives within us, the effect is going to be that we become deeply rooted. Everybody say deeply rooted. 
and securely grounded. Say that with me, securely grounded. Deeply rooted, securely grounded. The first metaphor is an agricultural metaphor. I found this to be true. People that have been loved to life by the Lord become deeply rooted in God. And this is what this means. You know, when a tree goes down deep, the nutrients are there. The water is there. When the winds blow, that tree's not blowing over. When the drought comes, that tree is going to survive. You know, when we had this, this little bit of drought, we had this last, uh, I guess it was earlier in the month of August, our trees out there were get, looking really bad. The reason they were looking really bad is because they hadn't been established that much. That just got planted a couple of years ago. We were out there putting tons of water on those trees when we started seeing them wilting because they have not had their root system established yet. How many of you have found out that people that know and love the Lord and have been walking with God for any length of time, when the drought comes or when the struggles come or the trials come, it doesn't cause them to turn from the Lord and to run the opposite direction. In fact, they still stay sweet. They still love. They still move in faith. They're still fruitful. Mature people are rooted and grounded and established in the love of God. How many of you know when people mistreat them, what do they do back? They just keep loving. They just keep forgiving. How many of you know this works in your marriage, by the way, too? What happens when you have a marriage that is rooted and established? You know what? When, when some friction comes or when hurts come or situations come, you know what you do? You just keep loving and you keep going low and you keep reaching out and you keep acting like Jesus because love is what establishes you in the heart of God. The second one is an agricultural image here, which is being securely grounded. You know, when something is securely grounded, the floods can come, the earthquakes can come, the shaking can come, but you're not shaken. You're not going anywhere. In fact, can I just remind you, folks, where is Paul when he's writing this epistle to the Ephesians? He is in prison. In fact, that's how chapter 3 starts off. He reminds us that he's in jail. Now, I have found this to be true of saints today, because probably because we've not been tested with affliction too much in America. But how many, you know, sometimes when hardship comes in people's lives, they, they say stuff like this, well, where's God? When we're going through hard times, many people say, well, I don't feel like God loves me. We take, we take trials in life to be an interpretation of the fact that somehow God has left us and that he's no longer with us. Can I remind you that Paul's writing all this about the love of God while he's in a very uncomfortable prison sentence, and he's there for the sake of the gospel. This is the same Paul, by the way, that writes in Romans chapter 8. Look, look at, you know this passage, but look at Romans 8.35. Follow with me on the screen. Can anything, Paul says, ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Of course not. Does it mean he doesn't love us if we're persecuted? Of course not. Does it mean that he doesn't love us when we go hungry and there's not enough food? Of course that's not what that means. Or we're destitute, or if we're in danger, or we're threatened with death itself. Paul says, does that mean that God has stopped loving us? As the scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. And then in verse 7 he answers the question, can anything separate us from Christ's love? No. Despite all these things, Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And look at verse 38. I am convinced. I want to ask you this morning, are you convinced? Are you securely grounded? Are you established in the love of Christ so that no matter what comes your way, you are firmly convinced 
that God loves you and that Christ loves you and that that will never change. I am firmly convinced, Paul said, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many of you know this is where feelings are bad indicators when we're going through a difficult time? Anybody been through a time where you felt like you couldn't connect with God? Anybody in this room been in a situation where maybe the physical pain you were going through was so, so powerful you couldn't even think to pray or you couldn't even read your Bible and you had a hard time connecting because of the pain you were going through? Anybody besides me ever been in a situation like that? Don't ever rely on your feelings at that moment. You need to be convinced in your heart that no matter what you're facing at the lowest point and the, and the biggest trial, nothing in all of creation, heaven or hell, can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Period. End of discussion. You build your life around the truth of God's Word, and the Bible says Christ comes and takes residence in us through faith. Faith is a critical component of the abiding presence of Jesus in our life. And so those are the times when we say, Lord, in the midst of my pain, I worship you. I thank you for your love. I thank you nothing can separate me from your love. That's when we declare those deep, profound truths about who Jesus is. And I, I mean, you know, to do this, we need help, which leads me to point number four. And Harvey, if you want to make your way back up and just begin to play, because we're going to respond here. Love is an ongoing, supernatural experience. Can I just tell you this? The first time I kissed my wife, she wasn't my wife at the time, but she was going to be. The first time I kissed her, it was transformational. My life was never the same. Something awakened in my heart that said, this one is my wife. This one is the one. Um, there was some romance there. Y'all know what I'm, anybody know what I'm talking about? All right. Hallelujah, there we go. Eddie, come on. Hey, Ashley, that was the greatest honor your husband could ever pay you, right right there. Did you see that? You married a stud muffin, I'm just telling you, all right? You married a stud muffin. Way to take advantage of that moment. I'm giving you a long-range high five. Look at what it says in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. It's reading from the Amplified here. Paul prays that we would be fully capable of comprehending with all the saints, God's people, the width, the length, the height, the depth of his love. And I want you to hear this. Fully experiencing that amazing, endless love and that you may come to know practically through personal experience the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. You know what happens when people have a lot of Bible knowledge but no kissing? They get really mean and nasty. In fact, the Bible says if you get full of knowledge without Jesus, you get full of pride. And I've known people that are spiritual know-it-alls that you don't even want to be around them. They win all the Bible quiz bowls, but they're just nasty. And the reason they're nasty is knowledge is never meant to, to suffice. Knowledge should lead us to an experience with Jesus that changes us. Y'all know what I'm talking about here? In other words, I could look at my wife from 
a distance. I could admire her. I could write her letters. She could write me letters. She could tell me about herself. But at some point, I have to kiss her. And I have to experience love with her. I could read the letters forever. But the letters are just indicators of who she is. Is this making sense to anybody? At some point, there's a marriage, and there's a covenant, and there's a consummation, and there's a new life together. And the Bible says the two become one, and he resurrects an entirely new covenant relationship. That's all a picture of something really profound and mysterious, which is what we're talking about right now. But we're going to stop talking, and we're going to give you a chance to respond. Now, here's the cool thing. All of us are at completely different parts in our journey. There might be somebody here today that you've never, ever bowed your knee to Christ. You've never, you've never kissed back. You've been here. You've even sat in church. You've, you've sung the songs. You've heard the Bible verses. But at some point, unless you personally respond to the love of God in Christ, it's all theoretical. And can I just tell you this? There's no theoretical relationships in heaven just real relationships. So you know what needs to happen? You need to respond to the love of God today. How do you do that, Pastor? Well, you just say, Jesus, I, I want to know you, and I want to ex- encounter you, and I, I want to give my life to you. And something radical happens. It's supernatural. I can't, you can't program this stuff. It's not like three steps. It's supernatural. But God is here today. His Spirit is here today. Some of you just need a fresh kiss from heaven today. You, you need the awakening in your spirit so that whatever it is that you're going through, it's not, it's not a, uh, a burden any longer, but it's a joy. Because here's what I'm telling you. Everything God asks us to do in the Christian life is supernatural. So even what I'm telling you right now, you're going, Pastor, how's all this going to happen? Let me tell you how. I don't know. But I don't have to know. All I know is this. God is crazy about every single one of you. So crazy, he, he gave his son. And his son is so crazy about you that you're his bride. And he's coming back for you. And he'll never leave you. And he'll never forsake you. And he'll pursue you to all the days of your life. Because that's how much he loves you. Some of you might be saying, man, I've had a lousy month, a lousy six, six months. I've had a lousy year. I'm far from God. Some of you right now are in situations that you know are not pleasing to God, and, and you're wrestling, and you're, you're dealing with this struggle in your soul. Like, I know I'm not supposed to live this way, but you're, you feel trapped. Listen, one encounter with the love of God causes all the chains to fall off. And all I want us to do is surrender with everything in your heart. Surrender who you are to all that he is. I want you to stand to your feet with me. And I want our ministry team just to be ready just to pray. But here's the most of all what, what the Lord wants to have happen today. is just for us to respond to the word of God in faith and ask that Jesus would come and take full control of our lives That's what it means to be a lover of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. It's somebody who's yielded all of themselves to all that Jesus is. 
You might not even know how to do that, but I'm just asking you right now, as we, we're going to sing and we're going to worship the Lord, and whether you stand there and just yield your heart or whether you sing with all of your heart, the goal is just simply this, that you would open yourself to an encounter with the Lord. You know, some of you, just by an act of your faith, if, you're, if you've never given your life to Christ, I encourage you during this time, come down here and, and just say, I need to give my life to the Lord. Some of you, it might be a time of fresh surrender, and you just need to be saying, God, I need more of you. Would you pray with me? I need, I need more of the Lord. Some of you might want to just kneel before the Lord and just worship Him. It's a time of fresh surrender. But, but here's the big idea. We'll never, ever be able to experience the fullness of God's calling on our lives individually and as a church until we respond by giving him our heart and yielding to the love of Jesus. This is supposed to be fun. This is supposed to be an adventure. And it never will be until we're loved to life. Some of you are here today and you're just wounded. Some of you even have father wounds. Some of you even have wounds towards the Lord. And I'm just telling you, We want to lay hands on you and pray for you and ask that God would reveal himself to you in a fresh way. So the altar is open and we're just going to worship Harvest. If you could just lead us, let's just begin to sing. Let's just begin to put all of our focus on Jesus and who he is. And with everything in your heart, I'm encouraging you, just open up your spirit this morning and just love him. Reconnect with him. Pour your heart out to him.